It is that time in the week where we meet up with our friends over at Black Locks Reporter. We dig into all the juicy little news nuggets that you should know about because they actually matter. Tom Korski, of course, doing all that digging. He is the managing editor. Good to have you. Well, thank you, Alex. Oh, there's so much to go through today. I love this one, though, because I did listen to this press conference, and I listened to it again after reading your story, but the prime minister omitting any details. I mean, no details about the mandate vaccinations of 300... 300,000 federal employees and millions of air travelers and train passengers. The cabinet had originally set October 31st as the deadline for this compulsory vaccination, but he was asked several times yesterday about details of it. You know, will anyone lose their job if they don't get vaccinated? He just didn't answer the questions, none of them. And now they're kind of saying, well, Halloween will be the deadline, but they don't even get back to work until end of fall. Yeah, it's a big problem, isn't it? This was a deadline set by cabinet back in August, Alex. And there are numerous problems with the uh, notion of compulsory vaccination, as you mentioned, for almost a third of a million federal employees, including the RCMP, including the Army, Navy and Air Force, and millions of people who step on a plane and those who take the rail. You can imagine... uh, no end of circumstances where there would be enforcement difficulties. And they've been asked about enforcement since August, and they won't answer. They keep saying, well, we haven't looked at that question, as the Treasury Board president put it. Those are good questions, as the prime minister put it, but no answers. Mm. And, And there are no answers because it's unenforceable by their deadline or at all. How would they possibly enforce that? They have collective agreements with all their unions. Yeah. Yep. All the public service is unionized, and there, there are circumstances, for instance, with air passengers on return flights who theoretically will be denied boarding on a ticket they have prepaid because they were unable to get a vaccination. Big problems. Or they got the AstraZeneca vaccination, which apparently doesn't mean squat anymore. I mean, there are so many problems. I mean, even the RCMP's union came out today and said, we're not making people get vaccinated. So... Uh, there's all sorts of problems, I think, with the public sector unions that are going to start to rear their head. It's odd that they stayed so quiet during the election campaign, but uh, here we are. And the other thing about the detail-free um, you know, press conference he had is there's no framework for this. I mean, the, as I understand, the public sector said, well, it would take at least another few months to get a framework in place. And so here we are, you know, yelling about vaccine mandates every day. He made it this major politicized wedge issue, divided the country, whipped up these protests. And I didn't get the, fence, I didn't get the sense that there was any sincerity that it's actually going to get done. No, the homework is not their strong point. But it does tell you there will be no compulsory vaccination. It was a slogan. Even on the case of air passengers, who will pay for the return ticket of a passenger who's stranded attempting to return by a Canadian carrier? Now, Cabinet can do that by regulation, simply by executive order. Who pays for that ticket? Are, are, are you going to have 75,000 complaints go to the Canadian Transportation Agency of people who say, I was cheated on a prepaid ticket because they changed the rules? This is the problem when you don't do homework. You get caught on the test. And it's going to be some test, Alex. Yeah, well, time will tell. Um, but again, it's one thing to campaign on it and irritate everybody. It's a whole other thing to actually push it through. And I, I just see there's going to be a whole lot of problems about this. Again, the whole politicization, as we have talked about many, many times of this pandemic, 
is uh, is doing real damage, not just to the vaccination issue, but to this country. I think this story is fascinating. Um, you guys got your hands on some documents, and it's not even documents, from Stats Canada. Uh, but immigrants and visible minorities have more pride in Canada's treatment of ethnic groups than white people. It found most black, Asian, and Arab Canadians were prouder of the nation's achievements than whites. 63% were more likely than Canadian-born respondents to be proud of Canada's treatment of all groups in society. And new immigrants praise Canada's fair treatment of all groups by a wide margin. 78%. So the prime minister can go out there and talk about all this systemic you know, um, racism in this country and, and we've got to do better and all the rest of it. Apparently those who come to this country are pretty grateful for what, what they have. It's a, it's a really poignant uh, study, isn't it, Alex? This is a question that was asked of people of all ethnicities, including white Canadians. And the specific mm-hmm. question was, you know, not are you proud of the flag or the trees? They were asked, are you proud of how Canada treats various minority groups? Yeah. And it, for white respondents, it was in the 40s. 43, 44%. 73% of Filipinos say Canada's fantastic. I can't tell you how proud I am of Canada, the way they treat people like me, Filipinos. Mm-hmm. Blacks, Asian Canadians, Chinese, Koreans, the vast majority tell Stats Canada in the general uh, social survey, by the way, that's a mammoth survey, typically tens of thousands of respondents. They say Canada's doing well. Isn't that a gap? Isn't that a disparity that implies politicians have taken advantage of perceptions, typically uh, imported American discourse that is framed in a completely different society with a different history and rules, and imported that to Canada and tried to apply it and made everybody get upset. And ironically, the vast majority of Canadians who are not white are not upset they say it's great. Yeah. Again, this issue has been so politicized, and I think we have almost, by this government, been shamed into being proud of Canada. That's why I left my Canadian flag up all summer long this year. But uh, I read that study, and I thought, well, isn't that something? Because it's true. Uh, those who come here from truly despotic and awful regimes, countries, um, you know, they know hardship, and they know... Um, you know, things that I mean, we're not perfect, but they, they have come from far worse conditions. So they pr- must look at us some days and say, are you guys crazy? 73%, Alex. 73% yeah. saying this yeah. is a fantastic country. You oh, know, we shame all won on, the Shame lottery. on them. We yeah. all won the lottery. Yeah. Uh, but we just don't like to talk about it. Don't like to talk about it and don't like to pretend we know it. All right. Uh, most Canadians, um, I don't think this comes as a surprise to anyone or it shouldn't, uh, expect to carry the impacts of this pandemic debt into our retirement. This is according to the Canadian Institute of Actuaries. So the financial fallout from this thing is so bleak that one in 10 Canadians now say they don't ever expect to retire. I know I'm that one. Uh, 69% say they're going to have to work longer. Only 37% of Canadians actually have life uh, disability insurance. So the Canadian Institute of Actuaries estimates if you're retiring at the age of 65, you're going to need $900,000 in savings to live. That is 900000 That will not go far if you live another 20 years. And, and, and the moon. Uh, okay. Interesting survey by actuaries who are uh, 
these are uh, high uh, mathematical applications for the benefit of insurers. They find a third of Canadians uh, suffered loss of income, serious loss of income as a result of the pandemic, and the result was they borrowed. And how startling is that statistic that they find now when they ask people post-COVID loss of income, what's your retirement plans? And 14% say, I plan to work until I die. I plan to die at work. That's my retirement plan. COVID, you talk about far-reaching effects that are, some of them are almost unfathomable, Alex. Forget about the economy roaring back. How many times have you heard that from cabinet? No roaring, no back. Fourteen. Oh, we're all in this together. Oh, we sure no? are. Fourteen yeah. percent. I work until I die. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think it's actually probably higher. Were, was there any data in there to to show the difference between private versus public sector? Because we're, public sector get a massive pension. They're good. Oh, the, well, so we're talking is, all private sector. This is reflective of uh, John Q. Citizen and the uh, the typical Canadian works for a small business, does not yeah. have any pension plan. Their their retirement savings are literally their savings, cash in a coffee can or an RRSP. So th- th- this is absolutely middle Canada. This is, mm-hmm. does not apply to the 300,000 federal employees who may have to be vaccinated. Maybe the minister of middle class can uh, get on her file. Mona, Mona will be on Mona. it. Mona Fortune. There you go. <laughs> All right, Tom. Uh, thanks very much. Appreciate it. Always love having you on. We'll talk again. Thank you, Alex. That is Tom Korski, managing editor of Black Locks Reporter, of course, of subscription magazine that always delivers the good. It's not even a magazine. It's actually an online publication, but worth the uh, investment for sure.